This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday afternoon program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, life questions, anything that's on your heart. All we need you to do is to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, please be in prayer. I'm going to ask you for a prayer for something really important in a moment. But uh, just as we begin, tomorrow is our ladies' retreat. Um, got lots and lots of ladies going uh, to their date with Jesus. That's what Paul and I call it. Uh, they will be um, meeting uh, in the Lakey, Texas area. Just pray that God would really pour out his spirit upon those ladies. My two daughters-in-law are going, and uh, we're really thrilled about that. Um, but uh, just just pray that God would be glorified and that people would be saved. They're leaving tomorrow. I think it starts tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Uh, but anybody who's going, 3 o'clock is when the registration opens at Alta Frio Baptist Encampment. Something else, and I forgot for a moment. Oh, I know what it is. Tonight. Tonight is always the least attended uh, uh, Wednesday night Bible study of the of the year because the ladies are all getting ready to leave tomorrow. Uh, but um, uh, tomorrow, or tonight rather, be teaching in G- Genesis chapter 45 when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. It is Joseph, he said, uh, and... It's quite an emotional Bible study for me, but it's just one of those really, really wonderful Jesus-y passages of Scripture. Um, okay, let's see what I got going here while we are trying to figure out what to do. Um, oh, I know. Here's the important one. Please pray for Pastor Ken Graves, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's been here to our church and done a men's retreat for us. Uh, he's a good guy from Bangor, Maine. 
Uh, we just got word yesterday, late yesterday, that the United States Supreme Court has decided to hear his case on May the 13th. Now, his church is going to be fasting and praying between now and May 12th. May 13th is when the Supreme Court is going to consider his appeal. Uh, ben, uh, Pastor Ken's church, Calvary Chapel in Bangor, Maine, uh, sued the, the governor because of her uh, restrictions on gathering together, uh, the governor of the state. Um, the appeals court ruled in the governor's favor, but instantly the Supreme Court saw this as an opportunity to uh, to deal with this issue. And and two things can happen. One is that the the appealing at the or, or the ruling at the appeals court can be instantly reversed, and that means in the state of Maine, then those people will be um, um, free to meet without uh, interference from the governor or the government in in Maine at all. But what they're hoping for and praying for, and this is what you can be praying, is that the Supreme Court will just say, you know, this is the case to take, to settle this issue nationwide, once and for all. And that's what they're hoping for. So please be in prayer and we will keep you posted uh, as soon as we get any information at all. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, That's Bangor, Maine, Pastor Ken Graves, Calvary Chapel of Bangor. Okay, let's go to our phone calls. We've got um, Pamela on line one holding. Pamela, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, thank you. I'm wondering what the passage in Hebrews, the passage about the pastor watching over our souls, and most pastors don't know the people, really, in the congregation. Uh, Can you say something about that? Yeah, yeah, Pamela, I can. You know, uh, one of the things that troubled my heart so deeply um, as as our church was growing, you know, it's wonderful when you know everybody. Um, but as our church was growing, it became impossible to get to know everybody. And, and you know, I'm going to stand accountable before the Lord. Every pastor is for the, the flock that God has given them to, to shepherd. And uh, it is a really difficult thing when things are going on in your church body, in people's lives, and you don't know about it. Now, we have encouraged here at our church, we've encouraged uh, all kinds of open communication. So I think we get most people. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's impossible to know everybody in the church. If you've got a church of more than 100 people, it's impossible to get to know everybody. Now, some would argue, Pamela, that this is a, a text that says churches ought not to be very large. But the truth is, is that we can't stop what God is doing. Uh, we open our doors. We teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and and God wants people to be led. So the way we've dealt with this issue here at Calvary Chapel, I've got a pretty good-sized staff. I've got seven staff pastors. I've got uh, five elders, and uh, we've got a thriving women's ministry. So we, 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 we try to make sure nobody falls in the cracks, but, but we, we really are responsible to take care of the spiritual well-being of the people that call this their church home. Now, in these mega churches where there are thousands or tens of thousands of people, um, we set the whole model upside down. You know, if a guy pastors 10,000 people or more, um, you know, he is nothing more than a speaker. Uh, usually the charismatic 
communicator, is the guy up front, and people don't get an opportunity to really talk with him uh, or, or, or be counseled by him in cases like this. So uh, it's just one of those things that church culture is much different now. The way church is done uh, has evolved, obviously, in the last 2,000 years. Um, in the time that that was written by, I believe, the Apostle Paul, what he was saying to the Church of the Hebrews, and there was all kinds of issues in 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 those churches. Those would be house churches, and they would be um, limited in capacity by the size of the homes that they met in. Now, that doesn't mean that we should have house churches today. What it means is things have just evolved, and obviously you need bigger buildings uh, to house larger numbers of people. One thing I do want to say, Pamela, and this is really important, I make myself available. Now, my schedule is not always clear, but I make myself available for counseling. I make myself available for hospital visits. Uh, we also have a hospital visitation ministry, uh, and they are there on the spot. And if they think I need to be there, then they have no problem calling me and telling me, Pastor Ron, you better get here. Uh, but we take that really seriously here at our church, and I think most pastors do. And the the exception there are those pastors that are, are, are pastoring these huge, huge churches, and they really don't have any interaction with the people at all. We've gone to uh, sort of a performance model of church where there are, um, um, again, I said these trained, effective communicators, uh, and their job is teaching. And, and preaching, and uh, the people underneath them on the flow chart or the organizational chart, those are the ones that actually do the ministry. The problem with big churches, Pamela, is that uh, so much gets uh, away from them, and they just don't have any way of knowing what's going on underneath them. I think the pastors are in danger when they start not being available to their staff, uh, and all we can do is purpose in our hearts to do the best that we can as pastors. Uh, we've tried to address it here at our church, and I think most pastors feel the same way that I am. It is a sad thing for me when I find that people are struggling and they're struggling alone with things. So, Pamela, I hope that helps. Thanks very, very much. That's Hebrews thirteen seventeen. by the way. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch over your souls as those who must give account. Um, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. See, there's other issues there, Pamela, besides just uh, being a shepherd. Uh, there's obedience to spiritual authority. And, of course, uh, the only spiritual authority that anybody should be obedient to is that which is godly and a spiritual authority, which is a servant authority. This does not give the church the right to rule over you, um, um, to, to, to make you obedient when what they're asking you to do is not um, backed up by the word of God. Pamela, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Mary. Hey, Pastor Ron, so maybe it's a weird question I'm going to ask, but I'm curious. It's something that came to mind when I'm reading Philippians 4.3. 
before I ask that, I know that Enoch was taken from this earth. The apostles saw the Lord, and this leads to my question in Philippians 4.3. It says, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who name, whose names are in the book of life. When Paul says whose names are in the book of life, is that because he saw the names that were in the book of life when he had his experience with Jesus, or was it because he knew they were believers in the Lord Jesus? And then the second question is, when is the first mention of the book of life mentioned in the Bible? Mary, uh, the, Paul, of course, knew the people in Philippi. He established the church there. Uh, and so he knew them, and, and he would have communication um, regular communication between them. So he would have known. And what he's saying here, it's not that, that Jesus showed him the book of life. Um, this just is a reference to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again Christian, your name is in the book of life. So uh, that's all that means. Now let me talk about that passage of Scripture for a moment because this is another thing that really... Um, grieves my soul as a pastor. Uh, these are two women, Yodia and Sintuki, is how you pronounce the names. Uh, and they had a problem with one another. And yet with the other believers, both of them had good reputations and they were notable, faithful in their commitment and in their service uh, to the Lord. Um, and and what he's asking is a true companion in the, the translation you gave me, uh, it's loyal yoke fellow in another translation. He's saying to one of the leaders in the church, uh, help these women get along. These women have risked their life for the gospel. They have been of great help to me. Everybody knows they're, they're, they're committed to Jesus Christ. But for some reason, these two women cannot get along together. And basically, Paul is saying, fix that. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, Mary, when people in church people that I know and love, people that I know both love Jesus when they can't get along. That's such a grievous sin and it, it, it puts everybody in a dangerous position because it can cause division. And so it's important that we live at peace with people. It doesn't say you got to live with them. It doesn't say that you've got to spend your time with them. But you've got to respect them and their walk with Jesus, and you've got to set aside petty differences in order to advance the cause of the gospel. Uh, I almost wish sometimes, Mary, there was a Philippians 2 or 2 Philippians so that we could find out uh, how Euodia and Sintuki did um, in this area. But this was a, a growing problem in the church because both of these women were respected and loved by the rest of the body, and yet these two were throwing um, spiritual bombs at one another. Uh, the second question about the first mention of the book of life mentioned in the Bible, uh, Mary, that's in Psalm 69, verse 28, uh, where uh, the psalmist writes, May they be blotted out of the book of life, and not be listed with the righteous. And of course, that's just David, one of those Old Testament prayers, a man who didn't understand anything at all about grace. Um, a man, by the way, not filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and David was saying, hey, they, they're my enemies. Get them. Blot them out of the book of life. Now, we know that names can't be blotted out of the book of life. David didn't know that. But that's the first time it's mentioned. Uh, then it's mentioned in the passage that you uh, asked about Philippians 4.3, 
And then there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine other references, uh, eight other references, I'm sorry, Mary. And all of those are in the book of Revelation. So the book of life, is a, there's a book in heaven. Um, this, as a believer, is referred to as the Lamb's book of life. But there is also another book. It says open the book of life in the books, plural, were open. There's other books. And when the book of your life, if you don't know Jesus Christ, when the book of your life is opened, the charges against you are going to be read. And with the righteous judge, Jesus, everybody who hasn't believed in him is going to be found guilty of all charges, and there's not going to be any possible way that they can explain it away. You know, there's no plea for mercy at that time. It's appointed a man once to die and then face a judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, at that moment when you stand before Jesus, you're going to give account of your life. So that's the story on the book of life. The one that we want our names in, of course, comes by being born again. That's the Lamb's book of life. And in that book of life, the charges are all still there. But referring to an old Crystal Lewis Christian song that was really popular when I first got saved. Um, All the charges are covered in the blood-stained pages by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful picture. Imagine all of those charges. You know, I know they're all true. We're guilty as charged. But every time the books are open and the the accuser, the brethren is saying he did this or she did that, um, Jesus is looking through those pages saying, you know, all of these charges are covered by the blood. And in that particular case, uh, we're going to be found innocent of all charges. That is a wonderful, wonderful promise to all of us. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jake. He says, how can I deny myself when being tempted when the truth is, I want to do what I'm being tempted to do. Um, Jake, this is the battle that we're all in. That's what the Apostle Paul uh, referred to in his own personal struggle in Romans chapter 7. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And then he comes to the conclusion, oh, wretched man that I am. So the thing that you need to do is first be honest and admit that you don't want to deny your flesh. I don't. I'm a pastor for 26 years, Jake. I don't want to deny my flesh. My flesh has an insatiable appetite. My flesh is always, always waiting for me to give it an opportunity to go nuts. And so um, I'm just honest, Lord, I, I don't want to deny my flesh. But for you, Lord, I want to do it. And when you're being tempted to do something, you need to remember the promises of the Bible. You were once slaves to sin. You now are slaves to righteousness. You make that choice to whom or to what you want to be a slave. Now, make no mistake, we're all slaves to something. And then, Jake, here's another clue you can memorize, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, when Paul says, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. In other words, whatever you're being tempted to do, other people have overcome that temptation. And then it says this, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out 
so that you can stand, and the idea is on a victory stand, you can stand in victory over the temptation. And Jake, you've got to decide whether or not you believe it. So in those times when you find yourself being tempted, you have a choice to make. Do I love Jesus more or do I love my sin more? And the answer to that question is going to determine the choice that you make. If you give in to temptation, it's because you choose to. And for a moment, just for a moment, you're telling Jesus, now none of us would ever use these words, but for that moment you're telling Jesus, Jesus, I love you, thank you for dying for my sins, thank you for everything you've done, but now I need you to go away so I can do something filthy. So Jake, that's the choice you got to make. And we fight by faith. We believe in the promises in the Word of God. And I think it boils down to something as simple as this. You're going to find out who you really love more. Do you love you or do you love Jesus more? And Jake, that's how you can have victory over the temptations in your life. Every single Christian ever has had to deal with that very question. So be honest. I don't want to. And your question was very honest. Be honest. I don't want to. I want to sin. Remember that in your flesh is no good thing. But also remember that Jesus said that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So stop fighting the temptation in your own strength and fight in the strength of the Lord. Thank you for that. Here's a question from Brent. He says, this is a strange question. Would you share the stage with a false teacher or go on TBN where so much of what they teach is false? Would you be guilty by association? Um, Brent, um, it's been a very, very long time, but I've actually been on TBN. Paula and I were asked many years ago to sort of share our story about our marriage and her 13 years of praying for me, and we went on the local TBN affiliate. Um, I don't believe in the guilty by association thing. Now, if I got on TBN and I I said, this is a great station and the teaching here you can count on, that would be guilty by association. But here's the thing that, that at least my perspective, Brent, is this. I will, I would, I, I need to say it differently. I would given the opportunity to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, I would do that on the doorstep of hell. If I get the opportunity to say what I want to say, nobody's going to tell me what to say. If I get the opportunity to proclaim Christ crucified and risen from the dead, if I get to to to, to share the need for repentance and turning to Jesus Christ for salvation, I will do that on any venue, on any format at all. And I think the Christian who would judge me for that, the Christian who would say, oh, you're, you're, you're advocating TBN, you're guilty by association, uh, I would say that they better be careful because they're judging a heart unfairly. So, um, yeah, I would share the stage with a false teacher. Um, that false teacher might be surprised at what I say if, if I'm actually on the same stage with them. Um, but uh, I would go on uh, TBN or any other program uh, given the opportunity to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. 
And that's the only thing to me that matters, Brent. So I don't think it's that strange a question. I just think, you know, we Christians, we like to wrap things up in neat little bows. Uh, every time we proclaim Christ in a in an evangelistic way, uh, we're we're in a place that that doesn't know Jesus. So what we need to do is be sure that we're responsible to God to tell the truth and do that no matter where we are. Now, perhaps the reason I didn't get invited back to TVN is because we were asked a question. I gave a very straightforward answer. And, um, you know, I'm okay with that. People want me to be on there. All, as long as they don't tell me what to say, I'll do it. One other comment, Brent, uh, here. We got a little over a minute left in this half of the program. Um, um, I've been asked to pray at a lot of public gatherings. And I'm usually asked to not pray in Jesus' name or to pray a generalized prayer. And I always say the same thing. If if you want me to pray, don't tell me what to say. You know who I am. You know what I believe. And that is exactly what I'm going to pray. And uh, in, in all the years I've been asked, I've only had one person back down and say, well, then it'd be better if you didn't come. And I'm okay with that. But uh, nobody's going to tell me what to pray or in whose name to pray. And, and I think... Um, those are the times we have to make a decision to take a stand for Jesus. So, Brent, I hope that answers your question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox from Junior. It's a colorful letter. Junior says, Why do we kill folk who have killed folk to show that killing folk is wrong. It's pitiful and disgraceful. Only a semi-civilized country would still be doing so in the 21st century. Junior, you got a problem. Because here's your problem. Your problem is with God. God instituted way back in the book of Genesis that if a man takes the life of another man, his life then will be taken. That's capital punishment. Capital punishment, it's Genesis 9-5, Capital punishment is codified in the book of Romans. The The state is given the right to take a life. And so we do that because that is the prescribed penalty for what we would call murder, premeditated murder. Not accidental murder. In the Jewish law, there was all kinds of different uh, penalties for for premeditated murder or man, what we would call manslaughter or accidentally taking the life of someone. But this is just the justice of God. And, and um, you know, you, you ask the question, 
in in a way that would indicate that you think we're suddenly too sophisticated to be obedient to God. And we're not too sophisticated. You see, this respects victims. This is justice. Now, we've got other questions to deal with, Junior. Do we apply the justice fairly? Certainly, I would argue that we don't, even in the United States of America. But um, the punishment for killing somebody in a premeditated manner is death. And God established it. And so that's why we do it. That's why we do it. And there's no other reason um, to do it. And there's uh, anybody who, who says, well, I just don't think it's a civilized thing, as you've indicated in your question, Junior. Um, you've, you've got to take that up with, with the Lord himself. So, Junior, I pray you're a Christian. I pray that you believe that the Bible is the word of God. And I pray further that you will let the Bible, the Word of God, um, sort of lead and guide in your decisions about right and wrong, what is moral or immoral. So I hope that makes sense to you. Here's a question from Frank. He said, I want to know your position on watching movies or TV that take God's name in vain. Um, Frank, I have been a, a, a pretty vocal about this. I, I cannot watch anything that takes God's name in vain. Um, um, I'm free to do it. I don't judge others who are Christians who do it. I realize that we're watching movies. Um, sometimes those movies are really good movies. Paula and I... Paul and I have walked out of a whole bunch of movie theaters saying, oh, man, that was such a good movie. But, but you know, honoring God sometimes is a sacrifice. So uh, we've learned to rely on the movie reviews, the, 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 the parent-friendly reviews. Um, um, I, I, again, not every time God's name is taken in vain uh, is equal. Uh, but, but when they, they use GD... For me, that's over the top, and I just, I just not going to do it. And so, if I waste the money, I waste the money. But we're going to do it. Now, having said that, I know a lot of people I love, and I've been in movie theaters with a lot of these people. And Paul and I would leave, and they would stay, and we didn't walk out saying, "I can't believe I thought those people were Christians," or "I'm judging their heart." Uh, I've had other people talk about. Um, We'll, we'll do clear play or some of the other, I don't know all the names of the, the screening ones, where they can, they can edit out all of the cuss words. Uh, I still know what they're saying. Paula, Paula's funny because she can read lips. I can't see well enough to read lips, but she can read lips. And she goes, oh, she'll say, because we know that's what's going on in the movie. And so, so that's really not a solution for us. Um, so that's my personal position. But this is one of those things, Romans fourteen twenty three. it's a matter of conscience. Anything not of faith is sin. And for me to judge someone uh, because their standard is different or because they have a different perspective on the movie uh, is unfair and ungodly. So I hope that makes some sense to you. Let's go to our friend Jeff on line one from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I got two questions for you today. So the first one is kind of a personal one. Um, 
I heard, I've heard you tell a story about, about this, this smoking 1966 Datsun pickup with a guy playing loud music <laughs> and playing air drums, and, and you were sitting in a slightly different car than he was. And, and, I'm, and, and my question is, you have been seen playing air drums. In fact, I've actually witnessed you play air drums, and I'm wondering if that guy was, was who inspired you to play air drums. And then, and then my second question is a more serious question. I wonder if you would uh, talk about First Corinthians two nine and ten and clarify that promise uh, in in nine and ten about heaven. And uh, I'll I'll get off the air before I cause any problems with Sam or somebody. Love you guys. Talk to you <laughs> Thank later. you, Jeff. Uh, let me read First. I'll do the second part in a minute. But First Corinthians two nine says this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, for however, has it is written, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Um, obviously, he's talking to the church at Corinth, Jeff, uh, about um, as believers we seek God's wisdom. Um, and, and that's the message we proclaim. But it's a message of wisdom among mature believers. But it's not the wisdom of this age. I'll give you a good example. The, the question we just had from Junior about um, um, capital punishment. Um, uh, the world says that taking the life of another person is barbaric. And, and he put the question wonderfully from that perspective uh, as an unbeliever. And I don't, I'm not saying Junior's an unbeliever. I don't know him. But... Um, you know, why do we kill folk to prove that killing folk is wrong? And um, and, and the world that makes to the world that makes sense. But we proclaim a message that makes no sense to unbelievers. And and Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, uh, God's secret wisdom is a wisdom that's been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. And then here's what we have to say to people. You have no idea what God has for you. You have no understanding of how much he loves you. And then he says, but to believers, God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And I think that's really critical for us. We need to know how much God loves us. And when we really get that, Jeff, um, then we start accepting his wisdom from the word, and then we're in a place where we can reject the wisdom of this world, even though we know that's going to cause us difficulty. So we simply believe, okay, if the world says one thing and I say something else based on the word of God, God's going to bless the stand that we take for him. How do I know? Well, the Spirit of God has revealed it to me in the person of Christ in me, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit. And um, because the Spirit lives in me, the Spirit will search out the truth on all things, and especially the deep things of God. So I hope that's what you're asking for, Jeff. The story that Jeff is talking about, I'm sorry, the story that Jeff is talking about um, uh, was actually a, a very profound moment in my life. Um, I was an unbeliever. My life was falling apart. I was in that that period of time uh, where um, uh, everything that could go wrong went wrong. It was just God frustrating every plan that I had. 
And I had a 39-mile commute to work, the crowded, sometimes horrible California freeways. And I was late for a really important meeting, and the traffic was really, really, really slow. Sometimes at 39 miles, it could take up to three hours. And I thought I left myself plenty of time for this important meeting, and uh, I was stuck in traffic, and so I'm honking my horn at people, and there's nothing they can do. I'm just insane with sin. And, and I'm screaming, and I'm yelling, and I look out my window. Now, I'm driving a, a, a Cadillac convertible, uh, my whole purpose in life is to make money. Um, I, I was abundantly blessed and still didn't know it. And I looked in this traffic jam on the freeway uh, out my window, and there was a guy in a 66 Datsun, not Nissan, Datsun pickup truck. Truck was smoking and just it was horrible, making noise. And this guy had the music turn up so loud, and he was banging his steering wheel like he was drumming and and singing the song at the top of his lungs. And I looked over at this guy, and my first thought was that pitiful. And then I just thought, was stopped cold in my tracks by the, the, the Lord. He said, look at you. you you're driving this $50,000 car. Now, that's a long time ago. That's a lot of car back then. And he said, you're driving this $50,000 car. And he's driving to 66 Dodson, and you thought money would make you happy? Who's better off, him or you? And that was so profound that it's, it's, I've told that story dozens of times. I've never, ever forgotten it. And that's really uh, sort of when God was tearing me away from the things and the allure of this world. So that's what it was. And Jeff, you're right. I do play air drums, but I have a very specific reason for playing air drums. You see, I sit in the front row and our drummer, Joel, who's a great guy, love him with all my heart, but he doesn't know how to drum. So he only does what I, what he sees me doing. So I'm sort of what, what, what he follows, sort of like follow the bouncing ball. Joel just does what he sees me do. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for the question. And and Joel, I'm sure you're not listening, but if you are, you and I know I'm kidding. But I used to be a drummer, and so I just, my hands move when we're doing worship. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. I've heard you preach that many believers keep God at arm's length. How do we stop that while we still live in this world? Uh, anonymous, I think the first thing is an awareness that, that you have to stop it. You have no choice. Here's something, and I hope this doesn't take too far off the intent of your question. But, but why we Christians actually act like we have a choice is beyond me. When I call him Lord then I have to do what he says. If I don't do what he says, then the obvious is that he's not the Lord of my life. And the the real issue here, and this is just the pained heart of a pastor, is I watch people that Jesus is, is really trying to get close to. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you, he says. And he's waiting for that invitation to come in, and yet we keep him out there at arm's length. And the reason is that we want to do what we want to do. We want God to bless that. But at the same time, we're unwilling 
to come to God on his terms. And so the way you stop that process is simply to die to your flesh every single day. That's what Jesus meant when he said that we're, we're to, to, to pick up our cross every day and follow him. And again, it kills me that we Christians think we have a choice. For example, I've had people ask me, well, well, uh, why do you stay here? Why, why did you come to Texas? Why do you stay in Texas? You could go other places, do other things. Um, the answer is because I really can't. I'm not free to do anything. I'm a, I'm a man under orders. You know, I tell our church all the time, we got a huge military or retired military um, um, group in our church. And I tell those guys all the time, men and women who've been in the military, they are truly without excuse. They understand more than anybody the value of following orders. In the military, if they didn't follow orders, they would get in trouble. So they went and they followed orders. They get orders to go to um, some foreign country that they don't want to go to. They don't have a choice. They got to go. So they go. Now, my question to them is always, why then, when God tells you something to do, you don't do it? And the answer is, well, my paycheck depended on it, or my promotions depended on it, or career depended on it. But when it's just Jesus giving the orders, somehow they fool themselves into believing that they have a choice in the matter. So, the conclusion, Anonymous, is simple. You don't have a choice. God says, let him come in. You meet him on his ground and do what he says. And you won't be one of those who are guilty of keeping God at arm's length. He is so good to us. He loves us so deeply. And all we have to do is press in. And we'll find that out. I tell people all the time that I, I want to be so close to Jesus. that we're following him. Sometimes I think we expect Jesus to follow us, but no, following him, that if Jesus were to stop suddenly, that I'd just bump right in the back of my nose and be smashed into his, into his back because I was following him that closely. That's what you've got to do, Anonymous. You've got to follow Jesus. And I'll keep preaching that message for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm laughing. Joel, our drummer, just texted about drumming. He says, I heard that. And then he said, it's true. And then LOL. So, Joel, sorry. But see, that's just between you and me. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm not very techie, as I think I've shared on this program. For the longest time, I thought uh, LOL was lots of love. And I just found out recently it was laughing out loud. So, Joel heard on the program, but uh, he's really a good drummer, and we love watching him pray. He he actually ought to pay to me letting him be on the stage. He has so much fun. He ought to pay me for doing it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is an anonymous question: When I pray, I often feel like I'm just talking to myself. How can I know God hears me? Uh, Anonymous, there's two keys. What is the motive in your prayers? James says we have not because we ask not or because we ask with the wrong motive. So what are the motives for your prayers? If the motive of your prayer is to honor God, and if you're asking God for stuff to do something, 
And if you can say, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done, and mean it, then motive is not going to be an issue. Paul says, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. So there's nothing wrong with asking God for things. But we've got to have enough faith to realize that if he says no, it's for our best, and and that's got to be okay with us. So if you're asking for things with the wrong motive, um, honestly, you are just talking to yourself. The other thing is um, when you are praying, is your heart right with God? If there's unconfessed sin, now none of us, I'm talking about things that some people wouldn't even consider sin. Are you holding on to unforgiveness against someone? Are you talking badly about someone? Um, is your flesh in control? Uh, if those things are true of your life, and you're still praying because, well, that's what Christians do. Well, God isn't going to be able to hear those prayers because he wants you to repent of those sins. And when you repent of those sins, then suddenly access to heaven is is opened and God is hearing your prayers. And when he hears your prayers, we know, First John says, that we have what we ask for. All we have to know is, is he hearing our prayers? So that's how you can know. Check your heart for motive, and then have the Spirit of God examine your heart so that you can repent of sins. Now, one critical element here is you can't just say, okay, God, I'm sorry for doing that. Forgive me. If you intend to go back and keep doing it. You've really got to want to let God change your heart, and he'll do it. But you've got to be willing to let him do the work. Um, And that just means, okay, Lord, you search my heart. Paul says to examine yourselves daily to see if you're in the faith. If you're in the faith, then your prayers are going to be heard. And you have to know that simply because the Word of God promises it. Does that make sense? Thank you, Anonymous. I like your question. Um, David says, this is an interesting question. David says, Pastor Ron, how do we reconcile the need for justice and forgiveness as we pray for those who do bad things? Um, I think we leave the justice to the Lord and seek his power for the forgiveness. Now, let me try to explain, David. Um, I think as Christians, we have a sense of, of we want justice to be done. Now, if we're honest, we only want justice in other people's lives. We don't want justice in our life. We want grace. We want mercy. But here's the thing. If somebody is doing bad things, then we simply lift them up before the Lord. If they've done bad things to you, then you still have to be willing to offer forgiveness. Now, they can't be forgiven if if they don't ask for forgiveness. But you don't have to be bound by unforgiveness. And I would say for you, David, this is a, very, this is a question that typically a mature Christian would ask. As a mature Christian who wants justice for the bad things people do, for the victims of this world, I think you are more accountable to God to be forgiving of people who've done bad things to you. Thus, that being the greater sin. So that's a really important thing to consider. So yes, we want justice, but but justice is only going to come when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. 
We should never expect justice for the world that we live in. We should never expect justice from unbelievers. To expect an unbeliever to act like Jesus makes no sense. So we shouldn't be surprised by the lack of justice. But we also have to be willing to receive forgiveness. I'll give you an example very recent in our culture. It's still in the news. The Derek Chauvin trial in Minneapolis. Uh, He murdered a man before the eyes of the world. And we want justice for that. But what if Derek Chauvin was to ask for forgiveness? What if he owned his sin? What if he said, on worldwide media, what I did was wrong. I murdered that man and I'm sorry, I don't expect anybody to forgive me, but but I'm really sorry. And I've asked Jesus Christ into my heart, would we as believers open up our hearts to forgive? So I think what we do is we realize our own deficiencies. That's the most important thing, David. So I hope that makes sense. hope that answers the question. Yes, we want justice, but at the same time, that's up to God. Our responsibility is to be able to forgive people. And when we forgive people, we're not saying that what they did didn't matter. We're not just overlooking their sin. What we're saying is, yes, what you did was wrong, but because I've been forgiven of so much, I'm willing to forgive you. So, David, that's the answer. Here is the last question of the day. This is from our email inbox from Thomas. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. In the account where Jesus materialized through the wall of the locked upper room in John 20 and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit, um, was that the epi or the in experience of the Holy Spirit? Also, was it just the ten disciples or was it his roughly 120? Last question, is the breathing in this account the same as when Jesus breathed the breath of life into the clay that became Adam? Um, Love you, Pastor Ron, from Thomas. I'm going to make you a housewarming banana pudding. Oh, thank you, Thomas. (laughs) As soon as I get some gluten-free vanilla wafers. That would be wonderful, Thomas. Thank you for that. Um, Thomas, when he said receive you the Holy Spirit, that would be the inexperience. Um, They weren't empowered with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit hadn't been given. So what Jesus was saying, that's the inexperience, the epi-experience, the the upon-experience in English. That's what occurred in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit was poured out on the church for the same time. And and in the receive ye the Holy Ghost, uh, that was just the disciples who were there at the time. The others, it was everybody who was there when the Holy Spirit fell. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. Hey, we will not be live tomorrow because it's date day, and my date is going to be busy at a retreat. So it'll be a rebroadcast. I'll be back on Friday. God bless you. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.